Welcome to the Carnivore Cast, a podcast focused on the carnivore diet and lifestyle, with practical advice from successful carnivores, citizen scientists, and top researchers. I'm your host, Scott Meslinski, and I'm here to speak with experts and experienced carnivores to get answers to your biggest and meatiest questions while helping you live your best life as a carnivore. This episode is brought to you by The Carnivore Bar. It's an ancestrally inspired meal replacement bar with real clean ingredients. Zero carb, high fat, just meat. It's only made of beef, tallow, and salt. And for crazy carnivores who don't eat salt, you can also get them unsalted. It's shelf-stable and it's portable and convenient. These are great for long hikes, business trips, traveling, or just having an easy, ready option in your pantry. I have them at least once a week, and they're delicious. You can use Carnivore Cast, all one word, at carnivorebar.com to get a discount. They're the perfect combination of crunchy and creamy. And as they say on their website, well, we do not believe that honey is part of the true carnivore diet. We do support it as a wholesome food choice, especially for our animal-based and paleo dieters. I don't have an opinion on that, but uh, you can get a honey flavor too. <laughs> Check them out at carnivorebar.com and use code CARNIVOREcast. Dr. Miki Bendor is a paleoanthropologist at Tel Aviv University, studying the causal relationship between paleolithic nutrition and human evolution. Welcome to the show, Dr. Bendor. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Yeah, and I first um, met you and, and saw you speak at the Colorado Carnivore Conference. Um, I can't remember if that was 2017, 2018, um, but... 19, I believe. 2019, yeah. okay. You gave a fascinating talk. Um, about uh, animal, animal sizes and, and what they can tell us about nutrition. Um, but right. I wanted to, to uh, and I'm sure we'll get to that today, but I wanted to start um, at a more basic level. How, how did humans evolve and, and how does it compare to um, other omnivorous mammals? Okay. Uh, you know, species... Uh... Species uh, change, evolve, because uh, the environment changes and they have to adapt to a new environment. This is evolution in a nutshell. And uh, the belief is that uh, humans uh, started to evolve uh, about seven, six, six million years ago when they uh, went off the trees and became more terrestrial. Uh, gradually, of course, and they became more terrestrial because there were opportunities uh, in a changing environment in Africa became uh, less woody, uh, less, uh, you know, forested. So, and that, that process continued uh, uh, of drying in Africa, and uh, <clears throat> savannas opened, and in the savanna, what happens is that the biomass of uh, animals becomes uh, higher, and uh, the biomass of plants becomes lower, and really the, the all the grass uh, we are we are unable to consume. So we started consuming the animals that could consume the grass. 
the herbivore uh, and became, uh, you know, hunters. So this is uh, more or less the story of the evolution of uh, humans until about uh, Homo erectus. Homo erectus uh, appeared in uh, Africa about 1.9 million years ago. And uh, at that time, it is my belief, uh, or my conclusion, let's say, uh, that he was a full, fully-fledged carnivore. Interesting. And how did you come to become a paleoanthropologist? Tell me a little bit more about your background. I retired from work at about 52, at the age of 52. And uh, I loved the hunter-gatherers since I was maybe 20 years old or so. Uh, I really loved their, they were like the, you know, the noble uh, savage uh, in my mind, uh, living uh, free, roaming uh, freely in small groups in, in the, in nature, and uh, I believe that we are uh, hunter-gatherers in our genes, and we are stuck here in an environment that's completely different than the one that we have adapted to. So I, I said, let's, let's learn a little bit more about these hunter-gatherers, and I found a, an opportunity to do that at Tel Aviv University here, at the prehistory department of the archaeology uh, uh, section, or actually the prehistory section of the archaeology department. And uh, then uh, I decided after a while to do a PhD uh, so that I can, at that time I already uh, started to understand uh, what, what is the consequences of the mismatch between our genetic uh, composition and uh, <clears throat> modern nutrition. Uh, so I decided that this will be my corner, and this is where I could contribute more to understanding the, the importance of uh, being aware of this mismatch and to deal with it. So I decided that I better become a PhD and do it professionally and get and get the the recognition that comes with a PhD. Uh, so that, that's what I did. I did a PhD in, in uh, uh, paleontopology, specializing in reconstruction of uh, the human diet. Fascinating. Yeah, it's cool how you've kind of reinvented yourself in a second career. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And um, can you talk about some of the traits we evolved uh, as humans that make us more carnivorous? Yes. So uh, we, I think the most, I think the most important one, well, not important, but the most visible one, although we can't see it, but it, it's easily visible, is the structure of our gut. Uh, and this is, oh, it's, it's not my findings. I mean, I didn't find it myself. I just read about it. But I calculated the difference uh, between the gut of uh, chimpanzees that are not really our ancestors, 
but uh, let's say we had a common ancestor. So this is the the gut of uh, a primate that eats uh, fruits and 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 leaves. And uh, we have <clears throat> I've calculated we have like a seventy-seven percent shorter uh, large intestines, which is uh, uh, used in in the you know in the digestion of fiber. Yeah, it's a really like a container for microbes to digest fiber. Uh, so we our evolution was away from fiber, for sure, because our large intestines shrank. On the other hand, the small intestines, which is where uh, fat and, and protein and sugar uh, get absorbed, uh, were extended by about 66%. So, this is the direction. This is the direction of our evolution for sure, is to consume more of the fat and, and protein and less of the fiber. So this is one of the main, I think, uh, uh, differences that can be seen. There, there are quite a few actually. Uh, another one that's quite uh, that I found quite impressive is the high acidity of our stomach. So it turns out that the omnivore have an acidity of around four. Carnivore pH of four. So it's, it's acid and the water is a seven. So it's quite acid. The lower uh, the pH, the more acidic it is. So carnivores have around 2.2 pH. Uh, we have a pH of uh, 1.5, which is really a pH of scavengers, because the pH helps fighting the pathogens in the in the in the food. So uh, herbivores, for instance, have close to seven. They they don't need because there are not many pathogens in uh, on the, on the grass that they eat. Uh, but uh, scavengers needed very high acid, and this is very expensive to maintain, not only to produce the acid, which is expensive, energetically speaking, but also the container. So the stomach should have a lining uh, that can stand this acidic environment. So we're constantly producing, uh, the lining is constantly produced again and again, just so it can withstand this uh, 1.5 pH. And uh, the author of the paper wrote, oh, it seems that humans uh, were uh, scavengers, but really he doesn't know much about how humans used to consume meat. And uh, humans are quite unique in, in carnivores in that they take the meat and they guard it in a central place. They bring it home. <clears throat> uh, lions go to the kill. Uh, and so most other uh, predators, especially social predators. But uh, we take the kill to the, to the group. 
so we can consume it for a long time and we sit on it. And just by the way, uh, finished writing a paper uh, claiming that the fire was mainly used in the, at least in the beginning to protect against predators uh, and, not, and not for cooking because the, the return on investment in the protection against predator was about 10 times that of cooking. So that's why we need, because we, we used to hunt large animals and large animals you can consume Let's say if you cook, if you hunt uh, a buffalo, for instance, yeah, you can consume it over a week at least for a group of 20, 30 people can can live on it for about a week. So it will rot or they they dry it, etc. But still, the pathogen load is quite high. So we need the acidity and. Uh, there's no way that uh, we would have been, we would have that acidity if we didn't need it. That's another, uh, <clears throat> there are quite a few others. That, uh, for instance, one, uh, one uh, interesting one uh, that you wouldn't expect is the number of uh, fat cells in the body. So, if you hold, want to hold a certain quantity of fat, uh, <clears throat> omnivores will have uh, less cells, but bigger cells. To hold the same quantity, predators will have sm smaller cells, but a larger number of cells. And we are with the predators. It has to do with the, uh, Insulin resistance, etc. I don't, I don't, I don't even know how to follow the explanation, but uh, this is the explanation. So uh, this and, and quite a few others. Uh, I've uh, we have published uh, together with uh, Rafael Satoli and Randa uh, Kay. We published a paper that has twenty-five different pieces of evidence like this. And 15 of them from biology and the rest from other fields like uh, paleontology and uh, zoology, etc. Uh, and they all really point out to the fact that we are carnivores. And if you want uh, to use an analogy to today's carnivores, uh, all the carnivores today that they hunt large animals like we used to do uh, are what, what they call hypercarnivores. In other words, they consume more than 70% of their calories from uh, meat. So I would say that this is a good uh, analogy for us. We did eat plants. There's no argument about it at all. Uh, there's enough evidence for that. But uh, <clears throat> the archaeology uh, cannot tell us how much we ate. The only uh, method that exists, uh, this is stable isotopes, actually uh, prove that uh, we were carnivores. Um, the, just uh, two days ago, I saw a new paper about the stable isotopes of uh, late uh, Paleolithic, so 
about 7,000 years ago from Sicily. Now, Sicily is in the north. So in the summer, in the winter, there, is a, there are plants there. It's not like in the north, where in the winter, everything is covered with snow and no plants are available. So it makes sense that humans would eat uh, mainly uh, meat. But in Sicily, actually, uh, the what's the call? People in the Mesolithic uh, ate meat, all of them. All, all the people that they found there, all, all the, they, they could study. But people in the Neolithic, Neolithic is the beginning of agriculture, uh, they ate a mixed diet. So, <clears throat> That's the interesting. And um, you talked a bit about like this, the size of animals we hunted. What types of prey did we hunt, and how how did it change over time? And what does that mean? Herbivores, mega herbivores. Uh, the biggest one are elephants, and then uh, rhinos and uh, hippos. Uh, the reason we prefer to hunt uh, mega herbivores is because they don't escape. So energetically speaking, not you, you need a lot of courage to, to hunt a large animal, but uh, they don't escape. And when they don't escape, uh, if we gather enough people around them, uh, they can be subdued. subdued. So for instance, uh, Elephants, you die, you hunt by uh, digging a pit on their way on their way to to the water. They they usually walk in the same way every afternoon to the water. So you dig a pit, you cover it with leaves, and and this is one one uh, method. There are quite a few, but uh, but it doesn't demand a lot of energy. Once the animals get smaller they uh, run faster and they actually escape. This is their way of uh, protection. So they, be, they are more uh, difficult to, to hunt. So we tried to hunt the larger herbivores. Thanks to Bioptimizers for sponsoring the show. And I'm really excited to tell you guys about an excellent deal they're offering this November. This is the biggest blowout deal they will be offering all year. So if there's a time to stock up, it is now. What they're offering is over $200 worth of free gifts and a huge discount all month long on their Magnesium Breakthrough product. Their Magnesium Breakthrough is a full spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress relief, better sleep, and mental health all in one bottle. They're offering all sorts of awesome free gifts and products worth over $200 with select purchases. All month long, they're offering 10% off using my unique code. And you can only get this exclusive deal through my link, special for you listeners. You won't find it on Amazon or even the Bioptimizers website. Go to magnesiumbreakthrough.com slash carnivore and use code carnivore to get your discount and free gifts today. Thanks so much and have a great day. You've talked about humans being fat hunters before. What um, evidence is there for that? Like, why, do, why is it clear that we preferred fat or fatty animals? 
The, the reason, first of all, the reason for hunting fatty animals is that we cannot digest or, or assimilate more than 35% uh, of our energy, 40% maximum, are from protein. So we have 60-65% of the energy that we need to uh, consume from either uh, carbohydrates or from uh, fat. So now, since you kill an animal already, uh, it's much more efficient if it had enough fat uh, so that you don't have to go look for carbohydrates, a large quantities of carbohydrates, which the return uh, on them is about one-tenth the return on the hunting. <clears throat> so we looked for large animals. Large animals contain more fat Relatively speaking, of course, they also contain a lot of fat, but relatively speaking, large animals contain more fat. Uh, one of the reasons is that they don't escape, so they don't need to be light to escape. So they can afford to have more, uh, you know, more fat for uh, bad days, you know, when, when the... There's no food available. <clears throat> this is, by the way, why I think we have more fat also, because we don't, we don't, we don't escape. There's no chance for us to uh, escape a lion or or a, or a wolf. So we don't escape. We we protect ourselves in different ways. So we can afford to have more fat. Uh, the other uh, type of uh, animal that uh, have more fat normally is the what, what's called prime adults. So these are, uh, you know, two or three years old, four, five, six years old uh, animals that uh, finish growing. So when you grow, uh, you use most of the reserves to grow. So you don't have a lot of reserves. But when you finish growing, you can have uh, the reserves uh, to secure your uh, survival. And uh, <clears throat> so humans used to concentrate on hunting prime adults. Now, if you think about it, for a predator, this is a stupid uh, strategy because prime adults run faster they are more experienced, they are stronger. It's not the type of animal, if you see, if you come to a herd, it's not the type of animal that you'll be looking for. And uh, for example, uh, uh, wolves hunt the old and the young because they can chase them. Humans hunt the, the prime adults. Uh, and this is to me a proof that they actually aimed at uh, hunting fat. Now, there's a lot of information from uh, recent hunter-gatherers also talking about the importance of fat and how fat is the best thing and how they're always looking for fat. There are tens of examples like that uh, from interviews with hunter-gatherers and also uh, evidence that uh, when they hunt an animal that doesn't have fat, they just leave it like that. They don't even bother to start taking the meat. So 
humans needed fat, and uh, this is how they got it. Interesting. And um... yeah, by the way, this is, in my opinion, why they also became smart. Yeah. Because you have to hunt the smartest or the most difficult animals to hunt. Uh, the the prime adults. And uh, <clears throat> what we found is that there was a decline, continuous decline in the size of uh, prey uh, all around the world, actually, but in Africa, for sure. And uh, so we had to learn how to hunt smaller prey uh, with, uh, not, not, without losing too much energy. And the way to do it is to develop new hunting tools and the new capabilities of, uh, of uh, pursuing uh, animals, et cetera, et cetera, which demand large brain and other, other uh, changes, other adaptations. Interesting. And you had, I remember you had this fascinating um, chart in your talk at the carnivore conference in Colorado. Um, talking about like depending on the percent of plants versus meat in your diet, um, like how much protein you should be having, yeah. how much protein you can. Can you talk a little bit about that? How you came up with that, and maybe like is there some place folks can can go see that as the, well? The, yeah, the subject of the talk in the in the carnivore con, well, how much protein? Uh, how much protein is the idea? And, and and how did how did that um, how did you come up with that scale? The, the first the as I said, humans cannot process cannot metabolize more than thirty five percent. So I think for seventy kilo, if I remember the numbers correctly, for seventy kilo person, seventy kilo is what one fifty. No, 70, yeah. It's about 154, I believe, pounds. Uh, I think the quantity is close to 300 grams of protein, if I remember correctly. So this is the maximum that uh, humans can consume because they have to remove the urea, which is a byproduct of the of the metabolism of uh, protein to to energy to sugar, and uh, so so the chart that you're referring to said that if the plant consumption is let's say ten percent, so let's say we we're talking about thirty five percent from protein. If the, plant, if the plant consumption has 10% carbohydrates, so we need another, uh, what it would be like, 55% fat. Okay, I think this is the chart that you're referring to. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, what, what the conclusion of this chart was, if I remember correctly, the conclusion of this chart was that we always ate high quantities of protein. So we were 
more or less at the, not, maybe not at the maximum level, but we were uh, quite high because fat is so difficult to obtain. Really, this, the real problem is to obtain fat. So I'm pretty sure that uh, from, from, my, from everything I talked, so I said so far, is that we didn't consume a lot of plants. So that means if fat was difficult to obtain and we did not consume a lot of plants, that we ate quite a lot of protein. That was my conclusion in that, in that uh, presentation. Yeah, I, I really like that. I, I, I found it really fascinating. Um, and can you talk, you mentioned that there is some, there is sufficient evidence that we're also able to use starches and sugar and plants. Can you talk about where that comes from? The, yeah, I mean, look, we came from, a, a, you know, we came from primates that yeah. ate fruit. Now, fruit has uh, sugar and uh, it has uh, starch, but it doesn't have starch. Fruit doesn't have starch. So, starch. There are signs that we evolved to have amylase to to turn starch into sugar, right? To glucose. So that that's the main proof that we evolved to eat starch, and this happened. Now the question is when this evolution actually happened, and uh, I can't say that we know for sure, but it looks like it happens towards the end, just before before the agricultural revolution. <laughs> so we became, but we were always able to digest uh, fruit sugar, right? That's why I also don't believe that a reasonable quantity of fructose will be a big deal. Because we ate fructose, you know, I don't know how much fruit we ate during our evolution, but we came from primates that ate fruit and ate fructose. I think I've, I calculated once that uh, chimpanzee consume about 9% fructose, something like that. Something like 9% of the calories of fructose. Uh, doesn't mean that we can uh, safely do that, but uh, at least it means that uh, it was adapted to consume fructose. I know that today, some people are sensitive to fructose, uh, but, uh, you know, I uh, personally don't shy away from eating a fruit here and there. Got it. Um, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And one thing that's interesting too is, is aren't the fruits we eat today just so dramatically different than um, the fruits from Paleolithic times, as well as they other. Are, of course, there's less, less uh, starch. 
And uh, the, sorry, today there's less starch yes, and more more uh, sugar. So, so. yeah. Um, what what are some things you think we can take away from these perspectives um, on Paleolithic nutrition and, and apply it to to our own lives? My, my conclusion is that the more the more meat you eat, the better. I mean, the higher the, the meat and fat percentage, I mean, the right fat, yes, uh, uh, the higher that percentage looked at the paleo as a safety, safety template. And uh, I don't know if it's ideal or not ideal. I'm talking about safe. And uh, from, from my point of view, uh, we were so... Uh, well adapted to consume uh, meat and fat uh, for two million years that uh, today it should be the safest. And what we eat, look, if you bring a hunter-gatherer to a supermarket today, yeah, I'm talking, you know, he will not know what, he will not recognize anything as food apart from the meat. Uh, yeah. That's great so, advice. So for me, this is the the I can't I can't I'm not you know I, I don't I don't myself feel myself qualified to talk about specific uh, you know other foods like milk and uh, and uh, whatever, but uh, I can say that the safest the safest. Uh, uh, Diet is a carnivore for sure, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, well, this has been fascinating, Dr. Vendor. Thank you so much for taking the time. Where can folks follow you and some of your work and, and find out more about what you're doing? Uh, I, uh, I, I'm active a little bit on Twitter. So, Vendor Mickey. And uh, that's, that's the main thing. I have a, I have a, a blog which is not very active, paleostyle.com. Okay. And that's it. That's it. Yeah. And I, you know, if I, anybody wants to contact me, you can go via Twitter. Yeah, I, I love following you on Twitter. I think you have some great posts, really interesting studies you post up there, great perspectives, um, and some some charts and graphics as well. So I'd highly encourage people to follow you. I'll have links to that in the show notes. Sure. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Bendor. It's been a pleasure um, and really fascinating talking to you. Okay, thanks a lot. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting the Carnivore Cast on Patreon. By becoming a patron, you'll help us reach more people and continue to create content on Carnivore. There are also exclusive perks available, such as private Q&As, consultations with me, and more. Become a supporter at patreon.com slash carnivorecast. Check the episode description for the link. Thank you, and I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Carnivore Cast. If you enjoyed this episode, please review on iTunes. It really helps us out. And share it with a friend. What questions would you like answered? Or who would you like to hear from in the carnivore research community? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at CarnivoreCast or go to CarnivoreCast.com. You can also email me at info at CarnivoreCast.com. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep it carnivore.